Welcome to the Blooming League of Original Podcast. G'day and welcome to an extra perfect blend of Thrash and Treasure, the Torture Chamber Musical Comedy Podcast that's the taste of a new generation. Mm. <laughs> and speaking of... Oh, shit, now I've opened two cans. <laughs> and speaking of shit, I'm Aaron, and I'm joined, as usual, by the man who can separate the sorrow and collect up all the cream, because he's our very own candy man. It's Mr. J-Wags. How's it going? It is going wonderful. Uh, I'm still here in Ivan's, Utah. We're getting ready for our first preview of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory coming up uh, on Saturday. Now, am I reading it correctly that you've got one preview now and then two more in 11 days? Yes. Yeah, you got one on the 13th, which I don't know when this episode is going to drop because the whole Mother's Day is coming up and... You've got to figure all your stuff out. I get that. Yeah, uh, the way things work at Tuacons, we we rehearse the first two shows in repertory. So right now we are learning Charlie on the Chocolate Factory and Disney's Tarzan, the Phil Collins musical. And so we are basically teching for a week, doing one preview. And then next week we are teching Tarzan, doing one preview of that. And then the following week we're doing alternating nights of previews. And then we open uh, somewhere in the May 20s. I tell you what, I want to play in that theater so badly. Oh my God, the set psycho design. It's and Oh, yeah. goodness gracious me. Like, I'm not a huge fan of having to sit on concrete slabs to watch a show. I mean, there are seats. I mean, it's not just like an, an, like oh, an open theater. There are seats there. <laughs> Okay. Oh, that's all right. Then I'm like, this ain't ancient Greece, people. That's all right. Yeah, it is a beautiful theater. Look it up, people. It's Tuacan. It's in, I do know, I looked it up. It's St. something, St. George. Uh, we are in Ivan's, Utah, just outside of St. George, Utah. I got St. George right. Which is 90 minutes away from Vegas. Yeah, it's right on the border. Yep. Awesome. Well, sorry, I'm not going to be able to get over there to see it because I'm stuck here in Australia. Because it's an ocean away. Yeah. I have friends who live in this country who aren't coming to see it. Don't worry about it, man. <laughs> I've been looking up Tornado Alley lately because I'm rewriting The Wizard of Oz as a comedy play. Just straight up comedy, not a parody, just funny dialogue. Is it public domain now? Yes. Nice. And that's why it's just it's just an exercise. It's not something to sell. It's just an exercise to do, really, just to see if I can. I love just checking out the public domain and seeing what's what is going to become new to this country. You got to start planning it like years ahead of time now, because like The Great Gatsby just became public domain last year and there are already three musical adaptations in the works. I'm like, oh, come on. Mm-hmm. Like, OK, well, now it's just I have to figure out what's what's going to be public domain five years from now and, and do that. Yeah. Like out doing the wild party there. Yeah. Um, anyways. Um, okay, got a joke. Knock, knock. Who's there? Guess. Guess what? What? We have another legendary <laughs> Aussie diva in cell block H today, and she stands before us, accused of the crime of being a goddess, especially since this champion has enlightened the industry since her debut day in the original Australian Congregation of Godspell, from whence she preyed upon many a stage in a career that can only be described as Giant John by enacting the Bose stratagem when acting or directing and choreographing or devising hats worn by Frank and Johnny in the Claire Deloon, where Cinderella has also gone with Hardy, the ad man, for an evening with Deb Kennedy and Uncle Vanya, but never taking one small step when stepping out with a couple of white chicks for some sheer madness and strange bedfellows, with Aladdin and the Dutch courtesan, insert urine town joke here, and after falling down that rabbit hole, the sun rises, waking Eve with a head full of love, but leaving us in a daze of our lives, thus we promise, mum's the word, as the resistible rise of Arturo Yui 
we, you, me, and we all rise to our feet and take a leaf out of Errol Flynn's great big adventure book for boys by using today's chosen boatsicle to ship a huge warm nautical g'day and a happy Mother's Day to this naughty but coolest of our neighbours where her cunning Sheila, Sheila Canning, is a stark reminder of this angel's devilishly arresting talents which led her to the cop shop whilst between wars the kitty and the bagman had dobbed her into the blue healers, spilling the dish to the 101 sleuth coppers who called the MDA whilst the flying doctors were passing over Snowy River. Outback bound, as always, like every day, always afternoon, so step away from the speaker and put your hands in the air and help us two freaks as we welcome to the torture chamber a genuine prisoner from cell block H whose iconic stint in Wentworth as Doreen brings all the gays to the yard and damn right, she is better than yours, I insist because we're joined by an insightfully incendiary inspiration who has incinerated the screen to the point of incarceration as only a goddess can because she's truly the alphabetty of this prison because she's an actor, biographer, choreographer, dancer, director, entertainer, film star, Gabriel's assistant, host, interviewer, jester, kids casting director, law student, mother, neighbor, orator, prisoner, quiz champ, radio DJ, soapy star, teacher, uni student, variant, Cheryl Stark, writer, xanthic head, Yahtzee champ, Zoom user, and a partridge in a pear tree. So prepare ye the way of this lordess. It's HRH Queen Colette, man. Yay. Welcome to the torture chamber. Goodness gracious me. How are you going? Where did you get all this information? I'm exhausted. Yes. Not, not as much as me. Goodness me. I could not fit everything in from your career, Colette. I honestly couldn't. Only just before am I finding out you're a writer for new idea as well. Do you ever rest? Um, not, no, I try not to because you're a long time dead. That's yeah. a great way to put it. I'm going to use that. <laughs> and so I try not to... Oh, sorry, I'm really hot now. Um, uh, I try not to rest very much. And so that's why I'm in the UK now, because my career sort of stalled after uh, Neighbours, because um, after you've been in a show like that for 10 years, they people say, oh, you're too recognisable. You spend your whole life wanting to be recognisable and then you're too recognisable. And also I was told on a number of occasions, oh, no, she's too old to play that role, even though the roles were actually older than I really am and I don't think I look too bad for my age. No. And so I just thought, I thought, no, bugger it, I'm going to the UK and I've never been busier since I've been here. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. I've been here for five weeks and I get two, three self-tests a day, uh, a week, and mm-hmm. so far the three self-tests I've done, I've got the job. So Amazing. Good. Way to book. Yes. Awesome. Well, you have literally conquered every facet of the arts. Is there going to be a Colette Man sculpture exhibition one day? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, awesome. Because I noticed that's the one thing that's not on there. Yes, I know. Well, I've prepared one. I've made one for you. <laughs> it's a head out of paper mache. Oh, that's lovely. No, I won't be doing sculpture and I don't do a lot of painting either. That's the other thing. I'm not very good in that sort of department. So I enjoy writing and um, I may write another book. I don't know. Um, but I really haven't got the time at the moment. So, um, yeah, so I'm sorry that I'm standing in the dark right near the oven, but I have to keep my phone plugged in and it's not a very good light. Just noticed. But anyway... Who cares? We don't use video. Oh, excellent. We don't use video. It's it's 6 a.m. here. I'm not having the world see me at 6 a.m. 
<laughs> at all. Well, well, thank you for doing it at this time for me. No, that's no, all good. This is this is my hour. Now, can I just clarify something on your resume? I, I wasn't sure because Party of Five, did you do that? No, no, that's a mistake. I don't know who put that there. I, okay, I thought so. I didn't put yeah. it there. And there's also, I think, saying I'm in Jag. Jag. Yeah, I looked. I looked because they're on 7 Plus. So I looked at those episodes and I'm rewinding back and I'm like, no, no I'm sorry, I can't find you at all. No. Am I being rude? No, I don't know who does IMDb, but it's wrong. And I've tried to take it off and it doesn't move. So I just decided to leave it there. Weird. IMDb sometimes asks you to, for the privilege of editing your own personal actor biography, they want you to pay money so you can upload a current photo and, and push yourself further in the algorithm. It's It's a great business model, I'm sure. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, the only time I've ever done that is when just after I left Neighbours, I noticed on Wikipedia that someone said I was a retired actress. And I actually, it took me about a week and a half to work it out, but I got rid of the word retired. Excellent. Legendary actress, Colette. Okay. Thank you. That's better than retired. Anyways, we'll move on because I was meant to go from my banging head to head banging. Now, have you had any experience with heavy metal over the years? No. No? No. I have no interest in it. I've never listened to it. Yeah. I think it just sounds like whatever it is, it <laughs> doesn't appeal to me. So I'm sorry about that. And I wouldn't even, if you're asking what a heavy metal band is, I wouldn't know. Is it something that you wear around your wrist? Ah. I do love the Bengals. They were, well, they weren't a metal band, but I do love them. Anyways, now, okay, if you could pick your craziest, most over-the-top rock star writer, what would you put in it? Um, the full box set of Outlander. Okay. Cool. <laughs> that is a first for us. Yes. <laughs> even even the ones that haven't been made yet. So you just yeah. continually getting this as they are made. They would just immediately be forwarded to you wherever you are in the world. Yes, exactly. Exactly. There we go. I like that. That's nice. Yeah, awesome. It's one of my favorite series. So, you know, I'd like to have that to watch during interval. We love that. Now, Eurovision is on this week. Are you a fan, Colette? Have you been watching it? No. 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 Sorry. No, no, that's fine. It's... This is... This is a complete waste of your time talking no, to me because I'm not into heavy metal <laughs> and I'm not into Eurovision and there's only about two musicals that I like and if it's, if it's not Motown or the Jersey Boys, I'm not really that interested. That's what you saw, um, Ain't Too Proud. Motown and Jersey Boys, are those the two yeah. musicals you like? Yeah, well, Ain't Too Proud I saw, uh, which is a Motown musical, and Jersey Boys I've seen about six times. I do like Les Miserables, um, but I've seen it too many times. But the rest of them, honestly, please, who, <laughs> you know. And I was in Godspell for like three and a half years, so I can't yeah. bear to hear another song from that. I, I still can't do Day by Day. That song is too long and takes a long time to say the same thing in four different time signatures. Yes, exactly. And three different keys. Mm -hmm. What is your sort of general, uh, you, you, oh, please, what, if you want to expand on that for maybe 10 seconds, what, what, what are your issues with all the other musicals other than the ones based on 60s pop? Well, they, they are usually the music. I mean, jukebox musicals, which I, I know um, Jersey Boys is, and so is um, Ain't Too Proud, but mm -hmm. it's because they're singing the music of those specific bands. Mm -hmm. Like something like Mamma Mia, oh, give me a break, um, you know, and <laughs> um, and some of those songs that they just put into musicals to make them into a musical, and it's and and I just I 
if I mean, I, there's some fantastic Steve. Oh, I do like um, um, Sweeney Todd, uh, Stephen Sondheim, and a lot of what he wrote was fantastic because he wrote songs that actually pushed the story along. So you went into the song and through the song something dramatic happened or comedic or whatever and you came out of the song and the story was further on. It wasn't sort of like, oh, I don't know, Anything Goes or, um, you know, any of those where we've got the outfits and we've got a few dancers so let's do the song, you know? So you prefer like actor-driven and story-driven musicals when when you're going there or yes. ones where you already enjoy the music heading into it. Yes, exactly. Yes. All right. I'm a big fan of the Motown as well. Uh, there's there, there are a lot of jukebox musicals coming out uh, <laughs> these days. Like it seems yeah. like if you have a catalog, they're going to get it onto the stage somehow. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. You, they'll, you know, there'll be the Bee Gees and God help us, there'll be Air Supply and, you know, there'll be a whole lot of things coming out. In fact, I think they tried a musical in the Philippines with Air Supply. And it didn't mm. work. Yeah. So I just think if you're going to write a musical, it's like a play. You wouldn't use other people's words in your own play so why would you use them in a musical that's all i've got to say i'm being controversial no you're not i completely agree yeah you should hear me rant on this show colette <laughs> what, what song catalog would you like to see in a musical that you haven't seen yet is there a band that you're, you're like oh why hasn't the nx musical happened or, or something like that no n- none really because i've said the ones that i like and why i like them and I think that if they're going to write musicals, they should write original music for them. Yeah, wholeheartedly agree. All right, Mr. J-Wags, you listened to the album this week and we did Lordy's Skeletric Dinosaur. Yes. So I'll let you take it away. Uh, this was a fascinating thing because I, I have not listened to that much Scandinavian uh, metal. And I was I was expecting something a little bit different, especially once I saw a picture of the band. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those of you who have not seen pictures of Lordy, it's uh, if any of you have ever gotten into Guar, I guess in America would be sort of the closest thing where it's just they put on these like like giant rubber horror suits and masks and then just jam the F out. Uh, so I was uh, I, I wasn't quite sure what to expect. But the thing I ended up really enjoying about the album was that, uh, first of all, the sound of the album. Apparently this came out in a seven CD boxed set called Lore Diversity. This is the first CD off. So thank you for not asking me to listen to all seven albums. But uh, this one seemed to be very much in the style of early Kiss. And I do love me some early Kiss. So I like the idea that these were metal songs that were heavy, but they were also in major keys. They weren't all just sort of shredding at the speed of light and trying to see like, how many notes can I hit in one second? And that's the point of the album. The point of this album is you can be like, hey, we're going to have fun at this concert and we are just going to project all this sort of fun horror energy. And what I was really surprised me is that there was a sense of sort of fun in the album, like sort of a, a ghoulish, morbid fun that I found quite refreshing because I find metal can be very self-serious and pretentious sometimes Mm -hmm. i admit i was a little worried when the first track was only just like organ sounds moaning like (laughs) sopranos and then like someone thinks the monsters are coming so i'm like oh this is going to be super heavy but then it turned into a whole lot of fun double entendres uh there were a couple songs that are about like necromancers and the dragon but like a bunch of them were just about like hey these are double entendres let's go through a bunch of them or isn't this a fun idea for a song like the the first true song on the album day off of the devil like first of all 
called when the riffs kick in, you're like, oh, that sounds like Kiss. And then there's a concept of like, whenever you have a good day, it's because the devil's partying and took a day off. That's a great concept for a song. And it's like, yeah, we're not talking about it's like, oh, you're going to die. It's like, we're going to party for the devil has a day off. I thought it was a mistake. I thought it was day of the devil and they accidentally put off of. Yeah, day off of the devil. It's like, it's his. It's his day off. I thought it was a mistake. <laughs> okay, that's my fault. It could be just, you know, they speak a different form of English up there. Mr. Lordy, which is the name of the primary songwriter and singer, uh, he has a very unique voice, but it's not its not a melodic. Like, he, he sings back on the chords, and it's just like, clearly, this is the dude's voice. But he does manage to get quite a good range out of that very, very rough voice. And I also, I, I love whenever I hear a piano in a metal song, because you just so rarely hear a strong keyboard presence in metal. But yeah, uh, a lot of these songs I felt sort of similar about. It's like they, they have a very good, interesting hook, like Star Sign Spitfire, the idea of like, you must be born under the 13th sign. And that like, that's a fun exploration for a song. They weren't all about like, and now the dragon. There were a couple dragon songs like that. But some of the songs like Maximum Eleven and uh, like Carnivore and Blow My Fuse, they are just like, hey, these are straightforward Kiss type songs about getting some. And I do think Carnivore was my favorite because you think it's just a song about oral sex. And then it turns out, oh no, she's actually a cannibal <laughs> and he's kind of into it so that that was a little fun twist in it and i enjoyed that a great deal but yeah generally i thought the production of the album was very uncluttered a lot of times with uh modern metal you get it's like so you get the wall of guitar sound just overdub after overdub after overdub this one was very clean you could pick out the different guitar sounds you could pick out the bass really well the keyboard sound came in uh and it didn't sound overproduced and it didn't sound auto-tuned it sounded like we actually had people singing those harmonies live which for me is far more interesting than the perfect auto-tuned chord sound so for that i really enjoyed it i'd say if we were taking this out of five uh i, I would give it like a, a four out of five if you're interested in just metal for like the speed tapping and the musical complexity you might not be as into this album but if you are into 70s metal and if you are into especially kiss alice cooper a lot of the early like glam metal this will be right up your alley so i would recommend it for that awesome I didn't expect that. Yeah, I didn't expect them to sound like that either. I was surprised. Uh, and I know all the different albums in that seven disc box set, seven album box set. It's not seven disc. It's like literally seven different albums that all have a different sound. Yeah. I love it when people are prolific and ambitious, especially in uh, what uh, metal can be a very restrictive genre. But yeah. this one I, I really thought was a lot of fun. Yeah, I agree on that. Now, the current lineup is Mr. Lordy. He's their mainstay. Hella, mm -hmm. Mana, Kissy, and Cone. But the past lineup or lineups have included G Steeler, Ennery, Magnum, Kita, Kalma, Otis, Ox, Amen, and my favorite, Awa who was the keyboardist in their Eurovision performance. And I just love her because she's... Oh, she was wonderful. Wasn't she just like, ah, like that in the back? Like, great energy. Great energy. Yeah. Yeah. Her name comes from Be Aware, apparently, which I don't uh -huh. know why you need the B at the start. Why not just Aware? That's my name, Aaron Ware. Nice. Maybe that's why I liked her. Uh, anyways, um, now I picked this one because the dinosaurs, that's really... Oh, I picked her because we had um, Zach Stenson last week or a couple of weeks ago, whenever that episode aired uh, from Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous. Mm. Now, I love that w when they wanted to do 10 albums in this box set, the record company was like, nah, seven will be fine. That's all. That's, that's all right. That'll be fine. Yeah, I quite liked it. 
But did you listen to their hard rock hallelujah? I did. That song slaps so hard. Like, oh wow. Yeah. Like, it was very different from the album, but like, yeah, it just it seemed like everyone was having a great time. And also, you cannot beat the energy of the Eurovision crowd. Like no. everyone is nuts for all these songs. Have you ever if you've never seen the Stephen Colbert Eurovision uh parody, it is one of the funniest things I've ever seen with Eurovision. Because one of his writers is very into Eurovision. And he did his own Eurovision pop song, which I believe is called Hold Your Breath As Fast As You Can. Oh, I'm going to have to look that up. Because obviously there was the movie on Netflix, Play Ya Ya Ding Dong. Yes, Fire Saga or whatever. Yeah. Yes, that was funny. I quite enjoyed that. Rachel McAdams is a highly underrated uh, comedic actress, I think. Isn't she just? I think so. She quite often does these films where she'll be stupid and it's wonderful. Yeah, I quite like her. She's in one of my favorite television shows of all time, so she will always have a soft spot in my heart. Slings and Arrows. Oh, okay. I think you'd like it. It's a it's a Canadian comedy about a Shakespeare festival. Oh, okay. Interesting. I've never heard of that before. Now, yeah, obviously the Australian band this year is doing heavy metal. Voyager. So if you're listening in Europe and this airs before the finale, please vote for Australia because <laughs> if you don't, we may not be kept around. So we may get kicked out of the competition next year altogether. Now, just back on this album, I kind of loved it. That's the funness of it. I didn't take it too seriously as a metal album. And I think that was probably a downfall. It did feel very classic hair metal more than I was expecting. As I say, I li- literally picked it because it had dinosaurs in the title. And I would have picked the album that Hard Rock Hallelujah was on, but most of the album is barred from Australia. So there was no point picking it because I couldn't listen to it. Barred? Wow. Geo-blocked. That's a weird thing that sometimes happens. Like, I was trying to get uh, just, like, an order for, like, I was just sending stuff to Utah because we're, like, sort of out in the middle of nowhere out here. So I was getting, like, a run of, uh, like, just some supplies. And one of them was, like, I was trying to get, like, duster for my computer. And it's like, we can't ship that to Utah. I'm like, what law has Utah made that I can't get gas canisters of duster? I didn't know. I'm like, are you afraid people are inhaling it? Or is there a huffing yeah. problem here that I didn't know about? Oh, look, yeah. My mom was shocked when she was in America and tried to buy a Panadol because she had a headache and she was told she couldn't because she needed a prescription yeah that's one of those favorite things i see is that you get a lot of it uh even from us to canada just what what you can buy over the counter is very very different yeah yeah and i gave it du poids and that would be 12 points oh okay that's what they say in Eurovision in the the scoring. <laughs> don't watch the scoring. I just watch oh. the performance. Oh, really? That's why I love Verka Seducik, a Ukrainian drag queen so much. Yeah. Who took second place about, must have been 15 years ago at this point. Yeah, I remember. A song called Dancing Lasha Tumbai, and she was fabulous. And she had this giant disco ball outfit. I think they brought her back. They always they bring old acts back. Say, remember these people that were on? Um, yeah. Yeah, it's on this week. I can't wait. It looks like the Skelectric Dinosaur has gone extinct. We'll be back after this. Hey there, it's time to get popped on Culture, the official Puzzle Hub pop quiz podcast. And welcome to game number five. I'm your new host, Matt Young. And for today's special theme, we're going to test your knowledge on musical groups, including bands, boy bands, girl groups, and vocal ensembles. Play against your friends or the clock and see how you go. All right, let's get into it, shall we? Next up, we've got our pop quiz. 10 trivia questions based on today's theme, and maybe a few bonus points if you're lucky. You'll have five seconds to guess the answer. So, ready for question number one? 
Zach, Taylor, and Isaac are members of which group? Hansen. Of course, they're famous for Mbop. Crash test dummies were formed in which country? Canada. Or as I like to say, Canadia. Third question. Finish this album title. Never mind the bollocks. Here's the... The answer is Sex Pistols. The album is the 2020 debut album by which K-pop group? Blackpink. Jada Pickett-Smith performs lead vocals for which metal band? Wicked Wisdom. Said and Done was the 1995 debut album by which boy band? Seventh question. According to Wikipedia, the Beatles were the last band to top the U.S. Billboard end-of-year album charts. In which year did they achieve this? 2001. Which three opera singers made up the operatic supergroup The Three Tenors? One point for each correct answer. It was Placido Domingo, Jose Carreras, and Luciano Pavarotti. Are you ready for this one? Mesopotamia, Funplex, and Rock Lobster are hits by which band? The B-52s. And finally, in which year did ABBA form? That's right, the year I was born, 1972. How did you go on that round? And how'd you go overall? Add up your scores and let us know on Twitter. And be sure to check out our other shows on the Bloop Network, especially Thrash and Treasure, where you'll hear incredible interviews with genuine icons of stage and screen. So until the next game, I've been Matt, you've been Popped on Culture, and I shall see you next time. See ya! Anyways, you're listening to Thrush and Treasure. I'm Aaron. That's the Dohio host, Mr. J Wags. Hello. And we are joined by legendary Aussie Colette Man. Now, I've got a little game because, as I say, I was finding out things about you still just before Colette, and I've been oh. prepping this episode for weeks. I got three clues here to see if you can work out where am I? So, this one is a Japanese yearbook called Last Williams. Okay. All right. So that's the first clue. The second clue is a picture of me with a Japanese student in a red or maroon uh, uniform or jumper, um, black pants with a little logo. Yes. And the third clue is a logo of an anchor that says, hold fast. Right. Do you recognize where I am? Uh, you're in a Japanese boat? Nope. No. It was my high school, Colette. I went to a school called Williamstown High School. Oh, my God. I know, right? Really? I found this out four hours ago that you were a teacher at my high school. <laughs> 
a little bit before I was there, a couple of years before I was there. And when I heard that, I'm like, what? No way. Oh, I would say a few hundred years before you were there, I should imagine. I was a teacher there in 1971. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. This was right before your big break, I believe. And then you went on to do Godspell and then touring around that and directing that. And yes, I listened to a podcast you're on before while I was having a coffee at about 2 a.m. Yes. So it was only literally three hours ago. And four minutes in, you mentioned that you're a teacher at Williamstown High School. And I'm like, what the fuck? Pardon my language. But I'm like, what? No way. Because there's there's been a lot of guests we've come on. I've had connections with work-wise or just friends with or whatnot. Mm-hmm. This tops it. This takes the cake that we've actually walked the same hallways of a high school for crying out loud. Like, how does that happen? How does that happen? I know. It, it's extraordinary. I can't remember. You were, probably weren't even born in 1971, were you? No, nope, I wasn't wanted then. I wasn't wanted when I was born as well. But yeah, I wasn't a planned yeah. or anything. I wasn't an idea in 71. So no. No, well, I did it to please my mother for a year because yeah. she'd paid for my university degree. Yeah. And she said, I want you to have a proper job. And I said, great, I'll be a teacher. And they were standing outside the Monash University graduations and they were just grabbing people and saying, do you want to teach here? And so I did for 12 months. But at the very end of that is when I auditioned for Godspell and I got in and I couldn't get out of teaching fast enough. Although I teach now, I teach a lot, but I teach acting, not, you know, history and maths and French and stuff like that. I don't teach that anymore. So there you go. A law degree as well. So no, I only had part. I've oh, only part had of a part law degree. Of a law degree. Okay. Yes. Oh, there you go. I have what they don't have it anymore. Um, it's called Bachelor of Jurisprudence, and you get it after two years of law. But when I got that, I then switched to arts and finished my degree in an arts. I've got a an arts degree with a whole lot of law subjects in it. I wish they had something like that in the U.S. We could just do a law and arts degree together. I think that would be very helpful for a lot of actors. Yes. Just figuring out how to bust out a contract and represent yourself a little bit. Well, well, it's good because it's good because I do actually, I'm, I'm, a number of times in my career, I've been the equity rep, mm. you know, mm. that's the union rep. Uh, because of the fact that I can actually read a contract and I usually can find out what the force majeure is and all that sort of stuff. So, um and I've spoken in um, for casts. I've been the spokesperson for casts a few times, only because I suppose I've got the loudest voice and I think I know everything. So, you know, <laughs> but m- m- most times I've won, so that's good. Yeah. Awesome. Well, let's talk about Pinafore. I, I was very happy to di- to dive back into this one. In in college, we we went through sort of the history of musical theater, and we spent like a, a week on the operettas, and that's really the last time I've dove into the the Gilbert and Sullivan canon. I've never seen them live. I've seen they did three versions of Mikado, Pinafore, and Pirates of Penzance in the '90s in Australia. They turned them into musicals. Mm-hmm like proper musical theater. Um, and I actually watched Pinafore before and I actually enjoyed that more than I did it traditionally. It was a little bit longer, but it was just more enjoyable. I think that the, uh, the original is very much of its, its time and place. And, uh, yeah. It represents sort of the growing pains of the modern musical theater, like definitely the transition from opera into what we consider a modern musical comedy as much as God does not care for them. 
<laughs> no, it, yeah, you can tell. I've, I've kind of commented on that. So before we ruin my review any further, I'm going to quickly jump into it. Uh, when I first embarked on HMS Pinafore, I found myself surrounded by semen. Ew, sorry. I found myself flanked by sailors and just hope one buys me dinner first. So we set sail and the overture was to be expected, setting the classically nautical tone before local hustler Little Buttercup sails in on her bum boat to sell her wares that no doubt fell off the back of a truck. Rich Little Buttercup more like. So thinking I might get a story about this rebellious fender, I was sad when the tides turned upon realising this is a, a, a love story. Ugh, throw me overboard already. That is, until the captain rips open a box and out pops a hundred fair maidens, just like Buttercup with her trench coat full of watches and wares. And what type of show is this, goodness me? Big, big Ds, semen, a harem of women, bumboats. Whilst each time I found the music to be quite lovely, as I like classical music, I couldn't quite grasp the story or at least keep focused on it, despite watching two different performances. So whilst I can totally see the long-lasting appeal of the music, the show itself felt quite thin. Back in the 1800s, shows and audiences weren't quite as complex. However, I could be missing something in the whole classism love triangle thing, and if so, that'd be wholeheartedly on me. Still, HMS Pinafore has been making waves for well over a century, so what do I know? Three stars, and throw me in the brig, because I've spent over 60 days at sea, and not once was I drowning in semen. <laughs> I have a figurine from HMS Pinafore, believe it or not. Have you? Look at that. This is Sideshow Bob performing HMS Pinafore in The Simpsons, where Bart Simpson makes him perform the whole thing. I've had that for years. And I realised the other day, I'm like, oh, my God, I have a figurine. Never knew the musical. Well, there you go. Well, it's not really a musical. They call it an operetta. Operetta, yeah, true. Yeah. Thank you for only using the semen pun two or three times. That's okay. <laughs> I, I learned from this episode of The Simpsons, the Cape Fear episode, that yes. when he steps on the rake, the more you do a joke, the funnier it becomes. So that's why he continues stepping on the rake, because the more it goes on, the funnier it becomes after a while. They talk about it in the audio commentary. Oh, yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's like, and then Family Guy ended up grabbing that concept and sort of running with it even more. But it says, we expect comedy threes. We never expect the comedy 17. No. <laughs> and you just keep expecting the bit to end, and it doesn't. So eventually you have to go through like the comedy trough where it's not funny. And then it becomes funny again because you're just constantly surprised that the bit keeps going on. Yep, that's exactly it. I learned everything I need to know about comedy from the Simpsons commentary. And that is a top five episode of The Simpsons. I will go I, I will go to bat for that episode just as laughs per minute. Yeah, I love that one. John Vitti wrote it. And it's it's surprising. Like, no, they actually do HMS Pen. They're doing the score. <laughs> yeah. like Kelsey yeah. Grammer does a pretty credible version of that show. That's the only reference I have to it, to the score. You had done that uh, with Opera Australia, I believe, 2006. I did. Yes, I watched that production. That was a very nice pro shot of it, and I really had fun watching it. Yeah. Now, you played Buttercup. Yes. Now, also someone famous who played Buttercup was Matt Damon played that part in a show within a movie. So he actually sang falsetto in, in The Good Shepherd, it's called. Really? Yeah. Oh, yes. Actually, I've seen that film. Oh, yeah, I vaguely remember that. Yeah. It was, look, it was a really 
it was a startling thing to be asked to do because I don't consider myself a singer. singer. I'm an actor who can sing. And to be asked to, um, I didn't have to audition. They just offered it to me. And the next thing I know, I'm on stage singing with Anthony Warlow, you know, who can mm-hmm. sing uh, quite well, really. Um, and I, thankfully, I already knew him because he'd been quite a regular guest on What's Cooking on that show that I was with uh, in the 90s. And he used to come on as a guest and cook things. And so we we knew each other quite well. And he was unbelievably supportive of me doing the role. And um, I got a pretty bad review from, you know, the opera Toffs, but everybody else thought I was pretty good in it because I was funny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of times, especially with the older pieces, sometimes you get a lot of people who wanted to sort of maintain, like, a, to almost be a museum piece as opposed to a living story that's going to be happening fresh in front of you every night. That's right. And I, I didn't, I mean... I wasn't singing it badly, but I, I'm not an opera singer. And so, you know, they were expecting some opera singer to do it and, and instead they used a comedic actor. And um, lots of people loved it and some people hated it. But, you know, that's been my life, really. I polarise people. <laughs> well, well, that's how it should. We both think you're wonderful and that's why you're here. Exactly. Oh, thank you, Jonathan. Now, I, there was also a jazz version on YouTube with Perry Como and Pat Carroll, who played Ursula in The Little Mermaid. That was like 27 minutes or something, 37 minutes. Not all the songs, obviously. But a, a jazz, jazz version of HMS Pinafore? Yeah, with Perry Como. Oh you can watch it on YouTube. I watched it only a couple of hours ago. Or I can get a life. Or you can get a life. Yeah, that's true. Uh, now, I, I love there was a, um, a quote about Gilbert he was known for being cold but one of the actresses who worked with him said that if any of the chorus girls were stranded after the last bus he would always pay for their cab fare whether they were pretty or not what a gentleman oh isn't that nice of him <laughs> anyways oh. is so low for Ben and Peter for just being a good guy he, he paid people when they should have been paid and did a nice thing for them the bar is just so low for producers sometimes yeah tell me about it <laughs> I remember when I was in elementary school, we had uh, we would we would have like monthly arts assemblies, and then one time we had an, the Operetta Society come in, and they did like a forty-minute version of HMS Pinafore with just like the hits and the basic plot with like six people. Oh, it's Pinafore Junior. And really, there's not much story to it, so you can just sort of do the famous songs, uh, and and you get it pretty well. Uh, it is one of those things where it the style of the time uh, I I try to under I'm I try to get my mind around it as a songwriter and try to figure out where Gilbert and Sullivan were coming from because there's a lot of repetition of lyrics where sometimes you'll see the lyric is just like a paragraph and then Sullivan just takes it and set, like does repetitions and does like cadenzas and does like counterpoints like okay we get it mm-hmm. uh, and that he really loves when you have a laugh line having the chorus immediately repeat the laugh line. And I can only uh, assume that's for people who didn't catch it the first time and also so you can laugh during it and not worry about missing any part of the song. But yeah, it, it's fascinating to figure out like what the the concept of musical comedy has become from taking it out of like British music halls, then mixing it with opera and then sort of redefining what musical comedy was. And then into into the HMS Pinafore, the Penzance, Mikado, the Savoys, as mm-hmm. we call them out or Doily O'Carter? Sure. Oh, he's a director or someone, was he? Uh, he was one of the producers, I believe. 
producers, I'd say. And then, yeah. It was also interesting to sort of see what opera was being written about that time because one of Josephine's ballads uh, sounds a bit like Carmen. And I, tr- I wanted to see which one was which one is which. And Carmen came out three years before Pinafore. So, like, okay, there definitely could have been some influence on that there. Yeah. I definitely see it in a lot of the the British composers. I mean, I I I think Weber was definitely inspired by the Gilbert and Sullivan sort of like hyper British, very proper sense of like class and also very British humor of just singing ridiculous things <laughs> in a very serious way. And yeah, there's some great numbers in the show. Uh, like the ruler of the Queen's Navy song is a really funny song, even though it's essentially just like four verses in a row that all end the exact same way. They managed to to tell the story in a really fun way. I love the Captain song. Uh, I love a lot. I, I don't remember loving as much of Josephine's as I did in this, but I really liked a lot of Josephine's stuff. And I, I thought that was a credit to the the acting. The acting was, I thought, generally very, very solid for you know doing a very presentational style of uh, musical comedy. Yeah. I was quite disappointed that it wasn't more about Buttercup because... I just thought that was quite a progressive character to have this female street vendor with a trench coat opening up. Want to buy a watch? You know, that sort of thing. That's what it felt like. And I thought, wow, this is going to be a fun adventure with her on the seas. And it was a love story. Yeah. You got to have the young hotness. That's what brings the people in. Rafe and Josephine. That's what they're there for. No, I'll be right. Goodness gracious me. I don't like romance all that much well then you will love charlie and the chocolate factory no romance at all <laughs> uh, anyways it looks like the pinafore has shipwrecked so we're gonna go swim to an ad break g'day listeners aaron here while you're topping up your coffees did you know that you can support our show and go on a fantastically scary adventure at the same time Go to www.thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore to grab your copy of The Toniston Tales, a darkly funny Aussie trilogy about a young boy who rescues injured animals in his spare time and the roller coaster ride he's taken on by a literal fish out of water. Written by me, the village idiot of Thrash and Treasure, You'll come to love Toniston Turnbull and the dozens of wacky characters that he meets along the way. And here is a sneak peek. After barely three hours of light sleep, Toniston Turnbull slowly opens his eyes, his body feeling heavier than it ever has before. Not from extra weight, from tiredness and stress. Polly sighs in the shadows behind him, the flame of the nearest barbed wire tiki torch tower having died down, but not out, while Toniston napped. Are you awake? Toniston whispers. Oh, how can I sleep in this place? Polly moans, turning onto her side and facing Toniston, who stays on his back, imagining obscure animal-esque shapes in the rusted tin roof above them, shadows faintly formed by the nearest dying torches. We need to work out a way to get out of here, Toniston states the obvious. He whispers, despite the fact the nearest shacks to their own are several metres away, and the occupants presumably asleep, as most prisoners seem to be. How? There's no fence to squeeze through, or even climb, Polly replies, sitting up in bed and then stretching out her sore arms. The hairs stand on end from the slight chill in the air. I don't know, but I think the whole fighting thing is a distraction. You mean, to distract the other prisoners when new ones arrive? No, I I think that was just bad timing. Didn't you notice? 
Toniston goes on to explain his theory. That fight happened. Everybody gathered around. I didn't see one person who wasn't watching. And then when I vomited, the only gate in this place closed shut. What are you trying to say? I think something happened when everyone's back was turned. Like what? Whispers Polly, her voice breaking up in fear. I don't know. That's what we've got to find out. Toniston's brain starts working overtime. But it's strange that nobody seems to want to leave. They seem almost happy. Definitely content. So, when's the next one of those stupid beatdowns? Toniston can't help but think Polly looks tough, almost evil in the shadows as she asks, I don't know, Toniston begins. But both teenagers are distracted by a crumbling noise in the distance. Hopping out of bed, Toniston joins Polly on her own, equally uncomfortable one. Spotting a large, white package hovering close to the cave ceiling, behind it a shadowy figure. The package is lowered down, causing the teenagers themselves to lower as well, hoping not to be spotted by whom, or what, may be operating this obscure crane. Over a long, slow descent, the package is dropped to the ground. Polly keeps her eyes on it, but Toniston looks up immediately, spotting a large black shadow scurry away to God only knows where. Come, he whispers, as he quietly hops off her bed, slipping into his docks with bare feet. Polly follows his lead. Careful to keep watch on all directions, the teenagers swiftly sneak over to the white package, their hearts beating an almost tribal jam in perfect harmony, and stopping in their tracks as the sudden realisation of what lies before them sinks in. A woman, seemingly in her early twenties, wrapped up in bandages from the neck down. No, not bandages. Is that spiderweb? Polly asks, completely mortified at the prospect. Grab your copy of The Toniston Tales from thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore today. Hooroo! Anyways, we're back with Fresh and Treasure. I'm Aaron, that's Mr. Wags, and we're joined by Colette Man. Now, what's a recurring thing on TV that you find yourself ranting about constantly that might pop up all the time? Well, you see, I'm in the UK at the moment, so it's mainly the coronation that's wearing me down. Yep. Um, <laughs> because it was this weekend, and I can honestly say I watched for about Three seconds when they put the crown on his head. I've never seen a king look more unhappy, and I turned <laughs> it off then. Um, but honestly, it's been re- ramping up here in the UK for about four weeks. I've been here for five, and I reckon they were talking about it like as though it was next the next day when I arrived, and now it's been. They're now talking about how fabulous it was, and we're seeing it all again. And, you know, mm. we hear the whole story about, you know, Harry left early, wouldn't you? I mean, honestly. Yep. <laughs> and, um, you know, so, I'm, uh, yeah, that's what that's what is tending me to rant a bit. Yeah. Um, and also morning television in the UK is really yes. It's hilarious. Hilarious. Just even in Australia, Colette, every day they'll invite an actor on that's like the 10th billing of a film and ask them, so what was it like working with your more famous co-stars? Yes. Ah, shut up. Uh, But it's funny about the Coronation Nine News started off their coverage or something I saw the newsreader goes, he's waited 74 years for this. And I'm like, he waited 74 years for his mum to die? Morbid. <laughs> what are you talking about? That's really morbid. Oh, I know. They they get 
they get totally carried away with it. But I can honestly say people, when I was down in my local shopping centre on Friday, people were giving away flags, you know, Union Jacks, and I actually said, no, thanks. Yep. (laughs) And they looked at me as though I was basically, uh, I don't know, I could have been Rasputin, you know. They just thought I was just the, the living end. But anyway. It's all over now, and they'll only talk about it for the next, you know, six or eight months, I suppose. Yep. And then, isn't the most popular holiday in the world? Uh, various countries declaring independence from the British Empire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and but of course, we've got a holiday tomorrow because he got a crown on his head on Friday on Saturday. Oh, so gets- so it's another bank holiday, and that was why I had to be rushing around doing self tests today because it's a bank holiday tomorrow. Even though it's Sunday today, people work on Sundays, but they don't work on bank holidays. So it's bizarre. It's hard. Now, okay, we'll move on. What was the naughtiest you were as a preteen? Oh, God, I wasn't. You weren't? I was so boring. Oh, that is boring. I'm I'm sorry. I was so boring because I was was at dancing school. Yep. And I was at dancing school practically every day after school. And when I wasn't at dancing school, I was at singing lessons. And so I didn't have time to get naughty. I mean, I think I was caught smoking once and that was the last time I smoked ever because I felt sick. I think I was probably about 15 then. But, but no, because I was, I was like at three different dancing schools at the same time because yeah. my mother was determined I was going to become something. And then, of course, the minute I wanted to be an actor, she said, no, 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 you've got to get a proper job. Um, but anyway, um, <laughs> sorry, sorry. I, she had me at three different dancing schools, like professional classes as well. Yeah. And I didn't have time to get into trouble, really. I was really boring. And then one day, a famous actress told you to get a life and you went forth and got a life. Yes, exactly. No, I think I was the one who told me to do that. Okay. Okay. Well, you are a famous actress, so you were the one you, yes. we were looking for. Well, I wasn't there. I wasn't then when I was uh, telling myself to get a life, but I did yeah. uh, when I was about. But I was a late bloomer. I was about twenty three, twenty four when I moved out of home. Yeah. Uh, anyways, who's a living person you would love to play? Judy Dench. Yeah, I can. I totally see that. Dame Judy Dench. Yeah, that'd be intense too. I'd uh, have to, I'd have to work on her voice because she has a very distinctive voice. Yeah, yeah. Just take up smoking again. Yeah, well, she's had the most extraordinary career, and I mean, she's a, the most beautiful actress. I'd love to play her. Yeah, and if not, you still have to play sisters one day because I'm looking at you on the screen right now, Colette, and I can see Judy Dench. Well, there you go. Am I crazy at six o'clock in the morning with too much caffeine? No, she'd be amazing. With like, and also, it's just the the amazing halo of light we get as you move around your kitchen. Yes, I know. Sorry, it's me moving around the kitchen. I'm trying to find an area that doesn't drive you mad. We're fine. We're fine. I'm I'm being petty. That's just me. I've got lights on my face anyway. So well, the question I've been wanting to ask is that uh, I in in looking through your extensive career, the just the the, the sheer breadth of some of the shows you have done. Because I know in Britain sometimes a season is five episodes, but like for Prisoner, there were like eighty episode seasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is it like to have that sort of production schedule to be working like on a daily soap opera or something that comes up with like multiple episodes per week? Well, when we first started, it was only, we were only making one hour a week for the mm. first 12 episodes. Then it went to air and it was hugely successful. And, of course, people saw dollar signs. So almost 
overnight, we started making two hours a week, which was a big a big step up. And we were um, paid a little bit more, not much. Um, mm. But that was hard work because we were a relatively small cast. There was only about 10 regulars. And so, and we were in a prison. So we were basically in every scene, even mm. if we weren't the leads in the scene. You, if you're in the, you know, in the rec room, for instance, you were in the rec room. And even if you didn't have lines, you were still there. But the worst show for that was Neighbours because we were making six episodes a week, six half hours, which is three hours of television a week. And it was so fast that um, when we we got used to it, the regulars, you get used to it. But when guests came in, they just were, you know, discombobulated completely by the fact that you had to know everything before you got on the set. You had very little rehearsal and, you know, and also one of the problems was that the scripts were not great because they didn't have time. You know, they, I'm not, it's not, I'm not knocking the writers. They did the best they could in the time that they had. But, you know, we were doing things on second draft. I mean, yeah. a film or a big television series like Trigger Point in the UK or Line of Duty, they'd be on their 10th draft before mm-hmm. they make an episode. We were on the second draft. And so we spent a lot of time saying, no, I'm sorry, last week I said this and now you're saying I'm saying this. Well, no. So you end up basically rewriting nearly everything you say. And it's hard work. It's really hard work. You guys sort of become the the keepers of continuity then for your individual characters. Absolutely. The guardians of your own character because the, the writers change so, so many times, mm-hmm. not only... They move up, you know, They it's a great learning ground, Neighbours, but they move up and then they would have a different editor on each block and a block was six episodes. Mm-hmm. So the next editor will come in and say, oh, I think, you know, Sheila should do this. And I'll go, no, Sheila shouldn't because she said this last week. Um, and they were always very good about that, to be to be fair. But it was because there was no time. It wasn't anybody's fault. It was because there was no time. And, you know, they've rebooted it and they're doing five episodes a week. Um, But I don't think the process or the system will be improved that much by dropping one half hour. That's just, it just seems like, well, first of all, like the writers and the editors and the actors just get so, so so many reps, so many repetitions of being able to do it. The show is sort of just like it's a moving train at that point. You just got to make sure you're staying in front of the train. Yes, absolutely. And it's like dominoes. If you take something out, the whole thing falls over. So, you know, so sometimes you ended up saying there's no way I would do this. There's no way the character would do this, but you just have to do it. And, and as the actor, find a way to make it work and make it work and sit within your own as to where it was, you know. Mm-hmm. Who are more rabid prisoner fans or neighbors fans? Because I'm sure it follows you. Both follow you around the world. Um, the, well, I, I'm astonished because I've done. I did a fan event in Glasgow um, last week for prisoner, and I did one in Birmingham last year. And now it looks like I'm going to do one in Manchester and one in Cardiff. They're, they're not massive. They're like, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of hundred people. I'm not, you know, like we weren't, I'm not playing the London Palladium for three nights or anything. They were really, they're really passionate, those fans, and there weren't yep. too many weirdos, which was good. Yep. Um, but the Neighbours fans, they're very passionate and, and they, they're all madly looking forward to the new reboot and, you know, and if one more person asks me, are you going back to Neighbours, I'm saying it now, no, I'm not. 
I'm in the UK and I'm doing other things with my life because I did 10 years of it and and it was like five years too long for me. Do you know what I mean? I should have left much earlier. 10 years of six episodes a week is an insane schedule to keep. Yes. And, and not only that, but once you get known as that, then you can't get work doing anything else, which is exactly what happened to me. I don't know if it's happened to anyone else. I suspect it might by the number of them that flocked back to the show. But mm. um, I couldn't get work and it was because they said either you're too old or you're um, too recognisable as one as that character. So I just think um, I should have left after five years. But I'll be honest, at yeah. that time I was still enjoying it and I was working with good people. My family members were great. And I enjoyed the money, and that can be a real trap. And so yeah. I should have left after five years, but I didn't. And so I've got no one but myself to blame, really. Have you always felt looked after? I would say, quote unquote, looked after in the Australian industry. It feels like over here it's international first and then our industry. I don't know. I can't, look, I. for most of the time in Neighbours, I was looked after. Um, yeah. Just towards the end, I didn't think... I was, and that was why I left. But um, I, I don't really. I've never come across that, to be honest. I've yeah. always worked. You know, I've worked in theatre. I've worked at the Melbourne Theatre Company a lot, and Sydney Theatre Company, and they really look after you. I haven't been in too many things within. Oh, years ago, I did Outback Bound with Donna Mills, who was from Knotts Landing, mm-hmm. and yeah. she, she was the big import star. But we were treated exactly the same as she was, and it was a CBS. It was CBS in Australia, and so I've never come across that. It's like it's like the other thing I've never come across is you know, so many actresses complain about how there's never been any good roles for women. You know, it's so misogynistic and all that sort of stuff. Well, you know, I was in Prisoner for God's sake, and forty five years ago, and they were great roles, and it ran for eight and a half years. I mean, I wasn't in it for eight and a half years, but you know. You can't say there's no good roles for women because there's been also. I mean, there are more and more now, mm-hmm. but there's I there's not many roles in Australia for women over the age of about forty five. Good roles, mm-hmm. but that's something else. That's not the industry. That's Australia lords youth. Mm-hmm. Whereas over here in the UK, the number of times I've heard people say, "Oh, Colette, age is experience here." That's lovely to hear. Yeah, it is lovely to hear. I mean, Mark Rylance, you know, the very famous mm-hmm. actor, I trained with him over here in 2002 for about eight weeks on a fellowship and he and Richard Eyre, who was running it, asked me to stay and work with Shakespeare's Globe because this was at Shakespeare's Globe and I couldn't because I had young children and I wanted to go home and I said, I'll come back. I said, I, I would come back but I'd be too old and I was 52 then and I remember Mark Rylands took me by the shoulders and looked deeply into my eyes and said, Colette, never say that again because your age is your experience. So, And I've heard it two or three times now with people here just since I've been here this time. In Australia, the minute you're over 35, you've had it. You know, they don't have, they don't have any, I'm talking about females. Look at the news readers. The minute a female gets to 50, she's gone. But we've got news, we've had news readers up to in their 70s. Male news Yeah, and even just you switch on Corrie and well, when I watched Corrie 10, 15 years ago, I watched it, there were a lot of older characters in it, male and female, 
there wasn't yes. just a whole bunch. It wasn't Summer Bay with these all washboard abs and, you know, the big boob jobs. They looked like real people who would live in a London borough or whatever they call it there. Um, you know what I mean? Like well, a- that's right. And, yeah, what's really interesting is doing self-tapes here. A lot of the time, like today, I did a self-tape for a feature and I was told to wear no makeup, no jewellery and not do anything with my hair. It's If I get the role, I'll probably be wearing a wig because there was something specific about the hair. But they want to see what you really look like. Well, I'd never dream of turning up to a self-test or even an audition in Australia looking like that because they'll just look at you and go, oh, my God, she's so ugly. She's got, you know, because everybody. And that was the same thing. When when my my character's son died in Neighbours, I went to makeup and hair and wardrobe and said to them, I don't want to wear any makeup for six weeks and I don't want my hair done because, you know, Sheila was pretty sort of glammed up, you know. And I was really lucky because makeup, the girls in makeup really backed me and so did the wardrobe guy. Um, But a few of the directors were just really horrified. You're, you know, you're, you're very... You're very brave doing this. I said, I look that ugly, do I? Because uh, I did. I did look really ugly and I wanted to look ugly because I was grieving. My son had died and I can't bear that thing we do in Australia where your son dies and you're really sad at the funeral and the next day you're back kicking your legs up and everything's all right, you know, and I said, I don't want that to happen. So I was determined that it was almost six weeks before I started to then slowly moved back into the painted lady that was behind the waterhole bar and I did it and with the help of the makeup department and the wardrobe department I did it really gradually and it took about three or four months before I came back to sort of the Sheila they knew before Gary died and that was really important to me whereas some of the younger ones with all due respects no name no pack drill when had terrible things happen to them they had their mother's die and had abortions and or miscarriages and all that sort of stuff but not a hair was out of place and the um, you know and I that I just don't think that's that I don't think that's being true to the character or being true to the audience either well that's something that's something I never thought about is that being in a, a long-running daily show you do get the luxury of being able to stretch out the character arc for months at a time whereas opposed to if it's something where a season is eight episodes two episodes in, you've got to jump to the next thing. And so you get to fill in a lot yeah. more dating. That's, I never thought about it that way before. Yeah. And I mean, that was one of the good things. And I have to say, um, it took some talking to the producers. They were worried about it. Do you mind if you look like that? I said, no. I mean, I've never been a raving beauty. So I don't know what everybody's getting up themselves upset about, you know. I, I would prefer to be known as a really good actress than isn't she beautiful? You know, and and so I they said, well, if you're happy to do it, we're happy to support you. But I was one of the very few who did it. Jackie Woodburn's another one who who did it uh, when you know when all sorts of dreadful things happened to Susan Kennedy. Um, but a lot of, a lot of the younger ones are too scared to do it because there's so much. And I'm not saying it's their fault. It's just there's so much pressure through social media about what they have to look like. You know. I, know, I think it'd be 
I think it'd be more interesting, especially in the age of social media. It's like I can look like so many different things as opposed to this is the one thing I know how to look like. So if this ever changes, I'm kind of screwed. I think it'd be better to say, like, I can look like this. I can look like this. There's a range of emotions and human experience that this body and this face can portray. Absolutely. And I did just finish doing an ad, a big, big ad here uh, for the National Lottery, playing the mum of the lead boy. And they did not put a skerrick of makeup on me. And I was in a grey wig as well. I can't tell you. I looked like my grandmother who'd been dead for 25 years. <laughs> I looked shocking. But I didn't care because I was playing, I wasn't playing Colette. I was playing, I mean, I don't look great today because I've been out working all day. But And I haven't put any makeup on for you boys either. But um, uh, I didn't care because I'm not playing me. I'm playing mm-hmm. a character, and that's what I think a lot of young actors get confused about, and I think it's social media that's one of the problems. I'll stop ranting now. No, no. Do you know how much I live every time <laughs> a guest rants on my show? I, I ask questions designed to get people ranting, Colette, <laughs> but the, the young people out there, don't be afraid to be ugly. Just remind yourselves it doesn't matter. Gilbert and Sullivan would still buy a cab for you. That's true, see? Okay, so that's win-win. Gilbert, we don't know about Sullivan. Just uh, Yeah, true. They were actually quite handsome, though, both of them. I was looking at them and I was like, oh, like, like those mutton chops and those mustache, or one of them was. Um, maybe Sullivan could get it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Sullivan was a dad. There's just one last question from me, and that is, what is your okay. favourite picturesque spot to sit and just think? And what do you think about? Oh, oh, God, what do I think about? I think about lots of things. If I was at home in Melbourne, because mm-hmm. I live in Richmond in a warehouse in Melbourne, my favourite spot to sit is in a chair up in my bedroom, which is on the top floor, and looks out over the, over Richmond Hill, and you can see Saint Ignatius Church where my parents were married. Um, oh, and and I and I love it when it's that hour of the night. You know when they say it's the magic hour or something when it's golden hour. Yeah, the golden hour. That's right. And um, also, we used to have a long time ago before my marriage broke up, we used to own a house down at Anglesey on the Great Ocean Road and there's parts of Anglesey that I still like to visit and sit and think. And basically I basically think about my sons. I've got two sons that I actually birthed and I have my stepson who lives over here who I raised and I think a lot about them and how they're going because they're all going very well but I still you know you're a mother and you still worry and I think about I don't think about dying although you know there are so many people dying at the moment in their 50s and 60s and I'm 73 so you know I could pop off the twig just after this but I think I don't think about dying but I think about keeping my life going so that's what I'm doing here I don't ever want to move into a home my boys have promised that I'll be cremated but and they'll put me in the green bin, but they promised to put the green bin out on Monday night. So <laughs> good son. Good boys. Good boys. Yeah. So <laughs> no, so I think about ways of keeping myself. I do yoga every morning and I walk 10Ks nearly every day. Insane. And I think about things like that, like ways of keeping myself healthy, because I don't want to go the way my mother did. 
because my mother died of cancer and it was horrific. Uh, now, just one last thing, a, a message from Adam Richard. Oh, yes. Uh, yep, you do remember him? Yes, I know him. He goes, probably, she probably won't remember me. And I'm like, Adam, no one remembers you. I'm kidding. I love Adam. Uh, Jonathan's met him. He's been on this show twice now. Uh, he... Well, Sends his love um, and he says, I'm so oh. sorry to hear about Maxine and, and me too as well. Oh, yes. I, I I don't. That's happened since I've been here. Yeah. Look, to be fair, I didn't work with her very much. I think I was only. Oh, didn't you? Okay. No, I think she was there. I did know her. Yeah. Um, but I left not long after she, she arrived okay, in yeah. prisoner. And the last time I saw her was about five years ago and she didn't look good then. So I don't, I don't understand. Um, it's, but very, very sad. I mean, 57, very, yeah. very sad. And, you know, then the guy from MasterChef and, yeah. and um, you know, various people, it's, it's terrible really. But, yeah. you know, who knows what people do in the quiet of their own homes. Are you agreeing? Yeah, that's it. But anyways, that's it from us. Thank you so much for taking the time. I know everything's been obviously so well went for you. Look, thank you, and I'm sorry it's been such a I'm sorry it's been such a drama getting on to me and everything. I'm not good technologically, as you've probably gathered, and it's been really lovely to talk to both of you. And I hope it all cuts together okay. Thank you. Have a wonderful time in Belgium. Yes, I'm so jealous. Oh my god. I will. I will. Yes, I'm pretty excited. Yes. Thank you so much. Lovely to meet both of you and we'll talk again sometime. Anyways, a huge thank you to Colette Mann for joining us. You can find Colette on the social medias at man underscore real man. So that's M-A-N-N underscore real as in R-E-E-L as in a film real. And then man again, M-A-N-N and I'm pretty certain that's across instagram and twitter as well but that's it on twitter you can find mr j wags at mr j wags or on youtube check out his show the dohio and if you're near utah or around that area anywhere in america go check him out in charlie in the chocolate factory i cannot stress what an amazing actor this guy is so you need to go see him as everyone's favorite creepy uncle yeah I wish I could say it. Uh, I really do. Uh, anyways, you can find us at Thrash and Treasure on Twitter and wherever, uh, Facebook, uh, YouTube, uh, Instagram at Thrash and Treasure Podcast. Uh, anyways, that's it from us. You take care. Look after each other. Thank you for listening. And we shall see you next time. Uru. Bye. Bye. Bye.